Hi, I'm Lucas. And I'm Brian. And this is the Quacks Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Quacks Podcast. I am Lucas here with Brian. How's it going, Brian? I'm good. I'm Brian here with Lucas. Yeah. All right. We're back at it. We are. Woohoo. Seems like it's been a while. Yeah, it's been a few weeks. We've had interviews and stuff that I've been posting, so we haven't had to do a podcast. But we have a special episode today. We haven't got to do podcast excuse me we haven't got to do a podcast correct yes very blessed so we have an interesting episode today about a a fascinating probiotic but before that brian what grinds your gears what grinds (laughs) (laughs) where do we start um well you know one of the things that grinds my gear and and it gears is probably ties into something pretty topically which has got everyone worried which is this coronavirus yeah what's up with that I don't know. That's what grinds my gears. I don't know who to believe when you've got the media is our main source of information, mainstream media. Uh, yes. Give me a break because how many times have we been through SARS and the Zika. swine through and Zika or Zima, Bird something flu. different or whatever. Yeah. Bird flu. It's been so many different versions of this so it's hard to take it seriously and i do feel like every time there's a little and i'm always relieved that we're not engulfed in plague yeah but i feel uh, like foolish for getting so worried yeah i mean whoever is uh whoever's on the naming committee over there for these diseases they know their craft i mean yeah. The name Zika, coronavirus, it's not overtly scary. It's like mysterious. You yes. don't know what's going on there. You're like, I don't know what it is, but it sounds serious. Yeah. I mean, they're it, not just naming them after numbers. I think they did that with H1N1, and they just didn't get the traction they really wanted. Right. And so they just kind of stepped it up to, to real names. Yeah. But they're not like, it's not like Skeleton 14 or Reaper 7. Yeah. Seven, Reaper 7A is coming our way. Whoa, mm-hmm. no, it's coronavirus. That's kind of a good time party. I think Corona beer honestly exactly so poor corona people yeah so i mean this guy uh you know nasim taleb who uh, who was the inspiration for a lot of this podcast he had this thing about pandemics and outbreaks which is basically if you're going to panic it's better to panic early than it is to panic late and the way epidemics and pandemics work is in an exponential factor so it's not linear where you can like watch and be like okay uh 500 people have it now a thousand people have it now 1500 people have it okay we should do something yeah it's more like okay 500 people have it okay 2000 people have it okay 10,000 people have it and so the way it spreads is in this really quick way and so you literally have to act like it's a pandemic even if it's not because if you don't and it is you're not going to be able to stop it and this might sound insensitive, but when it gets even to midway through that, that's those stages that you're talking about, like at the very, say, 1,000, 5,000 people infected, you know what viruses hate? Fire. Okay, so I'm sorry. This is going to be insensitive. Uh-oh. Fire bomb. You got to take that whole area out or else everyone's at risk. Does that sound insensitive? I mean, maybe you could quarantine first. I mean, if, I'm not saying By fire, fire. Quarantine by fire. Okay, but I'm not saying firebomb isn't in the equation, but yes. maybe other things are in the equation and, first. I know, and I'm half joking, but like if that thing is going out of control and is rampant and we know that it's in this particular, is that a moot point? Would it even be a moot point to do that because there's one or two people who have already gotten out that are spreading it elsewhere? Yeah. 
I can't believe I'm even talking about the specifics of firebombing a population um, due to illness. You but brought it up. These are like your dreams. I know, dreams. but it's, it's, it's also something you know the government thinks. Sure, they probably have contingency plans and folders like, you know, top secret level five, like what to do if, if Nevada is sick with Ebola or right. something like that. They have Maybe. to. I'm sure they do. If the world you know? is at stake. Yeah, military, industrial, yeah, they got a plan for everything. They got a plan for alien invasion, you know? Yeah, well, I would hope. But I, I'm skeptically optimistic that everything's going to be okay. And this is just, and I say skeptically because there's still a part of me that thinks that this could be something real. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the high likelihood is that it's nothing, just like all the others. Yeah. But if it's not nothing, then it's something, and that something could be really bad. Yeah. But I've looked at the numbers too, and there's, I mean, it's not killing. It's not like Ebola where people are just getting in contact with this stuff and then their eyes bleed out of their face. You know, it's not, <laughs> thank God. Yeah. You're like, no, it's kind of mild actually. You know, you get a little bit of a cough, you get a fever, and then some people just die. I'm like, that doesn't sound so bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think like what, 100 people have died so far? And God rest their souls and that sounds terrible. I, I'm, I'm, that's terrible that anyone has to lose their life. But if we're talking about pandemic and all that stuff, it, that's not a huge number for as long as we've known about this. Yeah. No, I mean, most likely you're going to be okay. I mean, even like the worst flu, the Spanish flu, you know, after World War One, I, I mean, it killed millions and millions of people. It was awful. But I, I think the death rate was like under 10%. Like if you got it, like you were probably going to be okay. Yeah. Well, I feel bad because somebody in the store today, I was talking to them and trying to just... There was an, a guy with his father. This guy was probably 60, and then he had his dad with him who was mm, maybe in his 80s, um, definitely in his 80s. And I, I go, oh, they're talking about coronavirus. I go, well, you can, you know, there's, don't, you know, I wouldn't necessarily panic, but these are immune things that you could possibly do to help boost those systems. Um, and I go, but it's not really, if you guys look at the numbers, it's not killing anyone other than, you know, maybe very small children and of course the elderly. Yeah. And then I looked right at him and he was like 85 and I go, I just told an elderly man not to worry about it. It's only killing your demographic, which sounds terrible. Mm. But anyways, I thought that was, can you cut this part out? <laughs> yeah, like, I can cut I it out. I sound like I, I no, you're, heathen. you're all right. Without you, this show is just nothing. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Me doing fart jokes under my arm. All right. Uh, that's what it would be. Let's move on to this crazy probiotic called Mutaflor. And it is a very interesting probiotic. I'm guessing most people have no idea it exists, but it's it's actually been in use for almost a century now. Okay. Um, and I'll kind of share, I've been experimenting with it for a couple months now, and so I'll share my story about it at the end. But it's one of the most studied probiotics out there, and it's actually been shown to help a variety of chronic illnesses, uh, irritable bowel disease, constipation, ulcerative colitis, and even things like chronic fatigue syndrome or liver disease. Okay. So it's pretty cool. It's called Mutaflor, M-U-T-A Flor. Never heard of it. I know. Yeah, most people haven't. It's really unlike any other probiotic on the market because it contains a friendly type of E. coli. Now, you've probably heard of E. coli. Uh, a friendly type, though? I have not heard of. Yeah. it's. <laughs> I mean, you've heard of E. coli from food poisoning, of right? Course. You know, bad That's lettuce saying, and bad. all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. But Mutaflor is a specific type of E. coli. It's called E. coli Nissel 1917. It was named after the guy who discovered it, uh, Alfred Nissel, I believe his name was, and the year it was discovered, which was 1917. Hmm. So it's called ECN for short, and that's kind of how uh, what I'm going to refer to it as, just to make that 
make that easier. Okay. And how it was discovered was really interesting. So the details are a little unclear, but back in 1917, uh, during World War One, soldiers in certain parts of the world, they died in the hundreds of thousands from dysentery and typhoid and like other diseases. You know, you can imagine they're in these trenches. It's wet. It's oh, it sounds close terrible. quarters. Yeah, it's bad. Um, and and the food was probably playing into that that they were eating too. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I didn't look up much on that. But With the dysentery, you would think. So, I mean, yeah, like, yeah, you might be right. Supplies. Yeah. So, a lot of times, like a whole unit would come down with some kind of stomach bug or something Oof. like that. And they would all be out of action. So, Alfred Nissel, he was studying these diseases and he noticed a certain military unit that came down with either dysentery or typhoid fever. It's not really historically clear, mm-hmm. but a single soldier within the unit was non effective. He wasn't sick. But all his comrades, one person, one guy in this unit wasn't affected. All his comrades were dying, but not this guy. So he took stool samples from all the different soldiers in the unit and found that this one healthy soldier sample... Which wasn't difficult to do, by the way. Yeah. They were leaking. (laughs) (laughs) So this one guy contained a sample of this beneficial E. coli bacteria. So... To kind of give you a little background about about what these soldiers were going through, typhoid fever is caused by a special type of salmonella bacteria. Ugh. It's related to the chicken, you know, the, the chicken salmonella, but it's like way, way worse. Okay, so my rancid food thing is making more and more sense. More Continue. sense, yeah, yeah, exactly. So Nissel, he used lab tests on these stool samples, and he was able to isolate this E. coli bacteria that was fighting off the salmonella bacteria causing typhoid fever. Good Lord. So Nissel, he wanted to find more soldiers like this one. So he went to visit different army hospitals and he found two other individuals that had uh, similar stories where they had never been sick with any kind of typhoid or dysentery despite being exposed to them. So he was able to isolate E. coli from those two soldiers as well. And so he had these three samples from three different people of this beneficial strain. And later on, those samples became the probiotic Mutiflor. That's incredible. Yeah. So Nissel took Mutiflor and he tested it on 11 different people who had typhus. So typhus is actually different than typhoid fever. It's kind of confusing. But anyway, typhus, <laughs> it's, it's caused by a different well, bacteria. I'm confused. <laughs> <laughs> so Mutiflor, it was successful in this small trial. The soldiers cleared the typhus from their system after a few weeks. Uh, and they didn't have any kind of relapse or reinfection. That's, I guess, something that happens with typhus is you get over it, you relapse, you get over it. Anyway... For a while, until penicillin was discovered, Mutiflor was like the go-to treatment for infectious gut diseases in Germany. That's that's pretty crazy that it's, yeah, and it worked for so long. Why, Why did they stop using it? Well, penicillin was discovered in the 1920s. Okay. And that worked way better. The, mu- the Mutiflor rep was devastated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Mutiflor rep. <laughs> so one thing that people, you know, often talk about with probiotics is whether they colonize or not, right? Do you ever hear that in the store? No. You oh, know, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like Sorry. people, uh, the probiotics, like, hey, does this colonize or? Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Nissel found it, it varied quite a bit with ECN. Um, for some people, he found no evidence of the strain in their stool even after a few weeks, meaning it died and and was gone really quickly. However, in other people, he found that ECN could last for months, even years, with the longest recorded being two and a half years after the initial treatment. Just one treatment? Yeah, well, the treatment would last several weeks or a month or something like that, and it stayed in their system for two and a half years. Wow. Yeah. To the benefit of the host. Yeah, exactly. Now, E. coli 
can actually be pretty fragile depending on its environment and other strains of bacteria that are present. So, uh, for example, lactobacillus, uh, that's, you know, in every probiotic on the market, mm. that actually tends to crowd mutiflor out and, and make it really hard for it to colonize. A bully. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Total bully. <laughs> Belly bully. Yeah. But anyway, let, let's get into like what mutiflor can actually help with, right? Yes. So... It has a lot of potential for different chronic diseases. Nissel tested Mutiflor for a variety of ailments. Uh, he had success with migraines, anemia, and arthritis, in addition to you know all the other gut issues he was looking at. Yes. Now, I thought this was really interesting. He found it could be protective against dysentery if taken before you are exposed. Hmm. So you know how when you visit Mexico and all the locals can can drink water and and not have a problem, but if you drink the water, it's yeah, it's Montezuma's revenge time. <laughs> By Guero. <laughs> yeah. So Mutiflor, if you take it before a trip to Cancun, it may give you protection against that. Well, yeah, that's great. Yeah, market that. Well, you know, as someone who's traveled a lot, I thought that was so cool. Like, I remember getting really sick when I was in India because. You know, some water that looked like bottled water ended up being tap water or whatever. It was a refilled jug. So I, th I thought that was really interesting. See, I wouldn't notice when I was in Mexico, though, because I would usually have my own self-induced corona virus. <laughs> See what I did there? So I could have dysentery and not even know it. <laughs> but those times have changed. And back to you, Lucas. <laughs> so another disease that uh, that Mutiflor could potentially help with is chronic fatigue syndrome. And this is how I actually stumbled upon uh, Mutiflor. I was doing research on probiotics just in general, and I was reading a site called CFS Remission by Ken Lassison. I'm actually interviewing him next week, so tune into that. He'll yes. talk a little bit about Mutiflor, I'm sure. Now, chronic fatigue syndrome is really interesting because, you know, these people are often really bad off. So if something helps them, it has real potential. Now, Ken, he's a citizen researcher. He's not a doctor, but he's been diagnosed several times in his life with chronic fatigue. And then amazingly, he was he put it into remission. And so his, his theory is that chronic fatigue is basically a stable pathogenic ecosystem of bacteria in the gut. Say that three times. <laughs> Meaning... Trying to hear it once. Yeah, meaning, you know, you have bad bacteria in there and it's stable enough to be resistant to change. Okay. So he cured himself of chronic fatigue several times by going on a protocol of different antibiotics. So, for example, he would take, you know, doxycycline for a week and stop for a while, then take azithromycin, et cetera, et cetera. Now, he's done a lot of research on the gut microbiome and how different foods, herbs, antibiotics, and probiotics affect it. And one of the things he researched in chronic fatigue was the propensity of these people to do worse on normal probiotics out there like acidophilus. Now, when they do stool tests, they are quite low on bacteria like E. coli in the gut. So apparently, there are many people out there with chronic fatigue who have used Mutiflor and found it really improves uh, their system. Wow. Yeah. Now, since Nissel did his original experiments, uh, a lot of other studies have looked at Mutiflor. I just want to mention a few of those real quick before we move on. Um, there were a few studies on Mutiflor for ulcerative colitis, which uh, they tested ECN against. In, they tested against a drug used for ulcerative colitis called uh, mesalazine, mesalazine, something like that. Mm. Uh, many of these studies have found that Mutiflor was just as effective as this so how come it's not more widespread? We'll get to that because uh -oh. it's it's actually, yeah, it's not here in the United States. It's used a lot over in Europe, but it's not here in the United no. States. Yeah. So 
I mean, it, that's really awesome for ulcerative colitis people because, you know, mesalazine has, I guess, some really hefty side effects uh, like headaches and kidney problems and stuff, and Mutaflor doesn't. So, yeah, it would seem like a, nice, a no brainer. Yeah, it's kind of a nice deal. Uh, other studies have shown Mutaflor is effective over placebo against a bunch of different forms of irritable bowel syndrome, like we mentioned above. Uh, irritable, bowel, irritable bowel is, you know, it's a collection of gut problems constipation, di- diarrhea, gastroenteritis, pain, etc. Are they all just kind of lumped into that same category? Yeah, and and mm-hmm. you know if you if you get diagnosed with IBS it's kind of like each each one is different, you know, some people are diarrhea, some people are constipation, some people are pain. It's all But some all of that is different. just I mean, it's allergens. So can't you just remove that stuff and it's classified as irritable? Your your bowels getting irritated by something that you're consuming yeah so that's part of that it. is that, that i mean yeah that's part of it some of them have you know allergies to different food and that's making it worse and some of them can get over whatever they have by changing their diet okay some can't some have bad bacteria or whatever that right. are causing problems but they lump them all into the irritable bowel pretty much okay yeah so mutaflor has also been shown to improve liver parameters in people with liver disease uh improved intestinal barrier function and lower endotoxin mm. Have we talked about endotoxin at all? We have a little bit. Okay, I think I think we may have mentioned it before, but uh, it's it's a short name for lipopolysaccharide. It's basically a type of fat complex carbohydrate that bacteria release. Uh, endotoxin is important because it's kind of the end all be all of causing inflammation and yes. metabolic disease. Uh, if you inject someone with endotoxin, they will feel sick, sluggish, depressed. And endotoxin is actually used in mice studies a lot to induce metabolic disease. So anything that oh. lowers, yeah, anything that lowers endotoxin generally makes you healthier and, and feel better. I just think of these mice, these lazy mice lazing about, waiting for disease to happen. <laughs> All right. So Mutaflor has also been shown to help uh, fight fungus uh, like Candida, which is that a still a thing in health food stores? Because I remember when Candida? I was- yeah. It's huge. It's still big. Dude, like every day. I Because I swear when I was working at a health food store, everybody coming in thought they had candida. Yeah. I, I, I'm having a, an uncomfortable discussion um, almost daily now. You know? Wow. So much so that it's not uncomfortable anymore. Hmm. But uh, And it shouldn't be uncomfortable, but I'm a dude. And you know, when women come up to me for advice, I'm like, isn't that your neck of the woods? <laughs> Uh, let me get somebody, but um, yeah. <laughs> I've become very well versed and very comfortable on the topic. But yes, candida is still still a thing. Prescient. Okay, good to know. Uh, one thing Mutaflor is probably not good for is Crohn's disease. So often in Crohn's, uh, the patients have too much E. coli uh, in the first place. So taking Mutaflor on top of that doesn't really work that well. The only study I found that looked at Crohn's and Mutaflor, it did not find it was effective over placebo, although. Ken Seitz said that it should be mildly helpful for Crohn's by replacing some of the bad bacteria with, you know, some of the friendly strains. Mm-hmm. So anecdotally, it may be helpful. Okay. Um, and you know who I thought about when I was reading about Crohn's was uh, the guy who started Garden of Life, uh, Jordan Rubin. You yes. remember? You remember his story, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Patient, yeah. heal thyself. Yeah, so he had Crohn's. He was practically dying from emaciation. Mm. Moved to California. Started drinking tons of kefir and yogurt, and recovered. And I wonder if he had E. coli problems and all the lactobacillus in the yogurt crowded out the E. coli, and that's part of what solved his problem. Dude, I like it. You're like a little detect- medical detective. I mean, there. I don't know. It's just things connect, you know? I just yeah. think, I'm like, oh, I wonder if that's why. 
I guess it's the same thing where I'm going, like I'm just listening to your story about guys having dysentery in a foxhole or in, in the trenches, and I go, had to be the food source. Yeah. We're changing lives is what we want to say, guys. And it's not something that millions of people haven't thought of. <laughs> no, I like the way your mind works. That's awesome. I appreciate that. So lastly, uh, just for the downsides, of course. Always, oh, boy. Uh, there are two studies in mice that were a little concerning. One study showed that uh, ECN mutated into something else while in the mouse gut. What? You know, what do you mean something else? Well, like uh, it mutated into a, di- a different form of E. coli. Oh, and is it's that a, all? Yeah, it's that's all. But it was in a mouse. It's never happened in a human. It's been used for hundreds of years. So, I mean, being in a different animal is probably the the factor there. <laughs> but I mean, it's concerning. It was a baby giraffe. Um, it mutated into a baby giraffe <laughs> in seventeen humans. There's it there's no so sign ominous. of it happening in humans, but okay. you know you just got to give okay. give out the warning okay. that you know there's this one study that it mutated because if E. coli mutates into more E. coli, then you yeah. know it was a rarity though. Exactly, and there was another study uh, where they had these genetically altered mice that they gave mutaflor to, and they had lesions in their guts or something like that from mutaflor, but they were genetically altered, so I, I wasn't really that worried. <sighs> Does about anyone it. else get sick to their stomach when they hear about mice experiments and genetically modified? creatures with gut ailments i don't i don't know i don't know why it bothers me so much does it really it does really like in a in your heart yeah like i don't know how to like energetically i get really grossed out first of all and then i feel terrible for these mice oh man yeah i don't know i don't i i just think well you know better them i guess (sighs) i mean if given the choice yeah they can take you so <laughs> if you want to try Mutaflor, it does seem like it could be a great experiment. <laughs> okay. All right. There are a few things to be aware of when you're trying it, though. So first off, it's banned in the United States. The FDA... Why? Well, they got a little hysterical some years back. We were having a lot of problems with E. coli, uh, with lettuce and stuff. So they just blanket banned anything that had E. coli in it. and hmm. And they didn't, like... Yeah, they just they just had a hissy fit. They didn't look at the dozens of studies showing it was safe. They didn't look at the different European countries that so use it. They didn't have Mutaflor or whatever lobbyists. I guess on hand to help I guess not. They just they just ban hammered it. So wow. Yeah. So but you can order it from Canada. It's perfectly so it's legal. legal to have. It's legal to have. You just can't sell it here. Okay. I should. I guess I should make that distinction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You don't have to like. You know. Deal black it. market mutaflor. Yeah. You're behind the alley. Like, hey man, you want some mutaflor? <laughs> That's not happening. It's fine to have it. You just have to order it from Canada, and I'll put the link in the show notes for a place to buy it. Now, because of shipping and regulations, it's kind of pricey. Like in Germany, you can get it for like twenty euros, but from Canada, it's going to run you like ninety bucks for sixty capsules. But they didn't think it was going to mutate. They called it mutaflor, which means mutating flora. I guess. I don't know. Writing was on the wall. Now, as far as how to take it, uh, Nissel had some recommendations that he gave from his observations in using it in the field. So I want to give a big shout out to this guy on the Rapey Forum, Mauricio. Or Mauricio. Yeah, Mauricio. Uh, he kind of helped me translate some of Nissel's original documents from German. Mm. So Nissel says 
that how long someone should take Mutaflor is different from e- for each person. So the gut microbiome will change in eight to 14 days. And often, you know, gut symptoms will be much better. But if you stop taking it, then you'll kind of slowly degrade back to your original state. Okay. In his paper, uh, Nissel, he really emphasizes how long Mutaflor can take to work. So he encourages its use for at least four to five weeks, if not much longer. Uh, he says sometimes results took at least a month or more to show up. Uh, but if people continue to take it, he saw cases of constipation that had lasted over a decade uh, be what? healed. Yeah, in just a few months. And oh, people who had it. I thought you were saying it was causing constipation. No, no, no. People who had constipation for, for 10 years uh, be healed from from a treatment of Mutaflor for a few months and then not have it for six years afterwards uh, of it being discontinued. Yeah. The basic rule is, you know, the longer you've had gut issues, the longer you should take Mutaflor. And while doing this research, I came across a study on irritable bowel, and the researchers noticed exactly that that same thing, uh, what Nissel's talking about here. They found that Mutaflor worked better than a placebo, but not until the 10th week of a 12-week study. So for a while, they did not think Mutaflor was doing anything until almost the very end uh, of the study when people really started to get relief from their irritable bowel. It's pretty impressive. As far as side effects, some people say, yeah, some people experience diarrhea when they first start taking it, so be aware of that. Uh, I've also had seen some people say they get kind of a drop in blood sugar with a you know higher appetite, and they need to eat more carbs uh, to keep their metabolism up. This could be interpreted, you know, in different ways. Uh, usually, when someone who is chronically ill has an appetite, that's that's a great sign. Uh, so it may be less endotoxin is causing less insulin resistance, or it's possibly you know some something not positive is happening. It's just hard to tell uh, yeah. without a long term view. Now, the next part is really cool. There are several studies with Mutaflor on babies, and it was perfectly totally completely safe uh well, i would hope that they'd made sure it was going to be safe before they tested on babies yeah in in one of those the mice were sick that day <laughs> in one of those studies babies who were given a liquid form of mutaflor had less bad bacteria in their gut than the control group uh, there's actually an e coli based probiotic for babies in europe under a different name than mutaflor so i don't know we don't probably say this that much on this show but totally safe for kids go for it <laughs> wow <laughs> yeah and they banned it. They banned it. So anyway, I should probably share my experience. So for a long time, I've had this really hard time getting more than six to seven hours of sleep at a time. Mm. Usually I wake up, I feel low blood sugar symptoms, and I need to eat something if I want to try and get back to bed. But you know, it's like if I've had seven hours of the day, it's like, why not just get up and start going, right? Yeah. So I tried to solve this problem a couple years ago thinking it was like a glycogen storage issue. Glycogen is the storage form of carbohydrates that your body puts into your muscles to be used when you need energy. Okay. And I figured that, you know, I was running out of glycogen in the night and that's that's why I was waking up and needing food. So I tried eating a bunch of carbs before bed. I tried liver protocols. Nothing really worked. One thing I did notice though is that if I had a really large meal at dinner, it would actually tend to make it worse. So it kind of didn't fit with the glycogen theory. Yeah. So Mutaflor seems to have solved this issue for me. Totally. Really? So I started taking it. I didn't notice anything the first night, but the second night I went to bed around 9.30 or 10. I woke up at 8. I mean, I was totally flabbergasted. I, I slept 10 hours. I, I haven't done that since I was a teenager. And this was the first time you took it? Uh, like the second or third time. Okay. Like the first or second night, I didn't do anything. But like the... Th- okay, that's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, three nights in. Yeah. And, and so I slept 10 hours. The next night, I slept nine hours. 
And since then, my sleep has really stabilized around eight hours per night. So my realization from this is that some of my gut bacteria was obviously, you know, pulling up, putting out bad juju or something like that. And Mutiflor is just kind of cleaning up shop and, wow. and letting me get some sleep a little bit longer. That's impressive. I mean, I picked up one to two hours of sleep, you know, per night. This is totally awesome. Uh, I took three capsules per day, uh, one before each one of my meals. I tried going up to six capsules. I didn't really notice much difference. Uh, so probably two to three capsules per day is the sweet spot, I'm guessing. Okay. So, and you, once you're done with this, then in theory, it should last you a while. Yeah. I haven't really gone off of it yet. How long have you been on it? Well, I'm working on my third box. So, and each box lasts about a month, but my first box went lasted maybe two or three weeks. So maybe two and a half months I've been trying to take it. I didn't even know you were taking this for that long. Yeah. I got to try stuff out. And if if it, if it's a dud, I don't, you know. Right. Yeah. Um, I tried six capsules per day. That's actually what the box recommends. Six capsules per day, and then you titrate down to four per day. But, you know, then you're looking at 60 capsules only lasting 15 days. Expensive. And that's, that gets expensive. Yeah. So I think just two to three capsules, maybe even one capsule per day is probably enough if you're taking it in an ongoing manner, you know, mm-hmm. maybe front loading it. I don't know. And you said this is refrigerated. It is. And see, that's the whole thing about shipping it is it has to be shipped with an ice pack because if it's very sensitive to to death. See, that scares me because I know, (laughs) I'm sorry, but I've gotten enough shipments that were supposed to be packed in ice that weren't. So So the place that that I get it from, this feel good naturally, they have a pretty good system. They only ship it out. uh, You have to get it ordered by Thursday and they ship it out by Monday and you get it by Thursday or Friday. And so the shipping costs quite a bit to do, uh, but there's an ice pack in there and it should be, you know, according to the manufacturers, it should be okay for a few days if it's not totally cold. Okay. So, I mean, they ship it pretty well. You pay for it, but yeah. And it's this time of year. It's, I mean, it shouldn't be that big of a problem. Anyways. Totally. Anyway, what do you think about it? I'm intrigued. I obviously want to give it a shot because yeah. I've had some gut issues of my own throughout mm. my adult life. And, uh, I'd love to see if that rectified it. You said you're two and a half months in. Yeah. Do you think you're going to stop here pretty soon? Probably. I mean, I ordered four boxes to give it a shot. I think after maybe the fourth box, I'll just uh, I'll see what happens after I get off of it. Right. It's I I mean, me personally, the benefits kind of trailed off. Like I, I started getting better sleep, and that's great. But I haven't really noticed anything else. Right. I think the benefits are. I guess as you just say, I think the benefits I've gotten out of it what i'm going to get out of it like i talked to ken about it and he said you know people really react to it in one of two ways either it's big they get floored by it you know they get headaches they get a herx reaction or whatever Mm. uh and they feel really bad or nothing you know it's 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 no big deal right and so i i think i'm one of the ones who gets the benefits of sleep but maybe not much else okay yeah and i think it's sleep's a pretty good one it is and i think the whole it got me thinking about antibiotic resistance because most people have probably heard that their you know bacteria is gaining resistance to antibiotics and at some point antibiotics are just going to stop working i mean i yeah. i wonder if beneficial strains like mutifor or maybe you know other bacteria that we engineer are kind of the future of how we handle bacterial infection it's it would make sense it could be cool could be cool unless they start mutating exactly <laughs> it was only in my story about it. <laughs> I, I think that it should 
definitely be in your repertoire of things you should try if you have any kind of gut problems. Very low chance that it's going to cause any any kind of issues. I mean, say you took it and it, you re- reacted really bad to it. Most antibiotics will kill E. coli. So, yeah. I mean, it's no big deal to get rid of it once you've got it. Have you heard of that happening, though? Somebody having no, a problem like that? No, I I've never have. But so let's just say the worst... Why did you put that in my head? <laughs> well, it's just the worst case scenario. Yeah. You know, you got to think worst case scenario. Totally. I always do that. You know, you always... Whenever you're trying something new that might be like a little weird, you're like, okay, what's the worst thing that can happen? Can I handle that? And yeah. so what's the worst thing? The worst thing is this colonizes your gut and you feel awful and you have terrible symptoms and then you take an antibiotic and you should be fine. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it should be in your repertoire. You should definitely check it out. It is a little spendy, definitely. But if you do have IBS, you know, it it could be, and you've tried a lot of other things, this could be really it. So yeah, because I know people who are taking IBS pharmaceuticals that, I mean, that gets spendy unto itself. It does. Definitely does. For the same thing. So, and this is something that in theory, once you've taken a round of it or a few rounds, Mm -hmm. you should be good to go. I mean, there's some of that stuff existing six years after the, the initial take it seems to mm. me yeah it's really nice nice man cool all right new probiotic i didn't think i would ever discover a new probiotic but yeah you did it we did it <laughs> dude i've been reading so much about probiotics and just like the probiotics that people take are so limited like like bifidobacteria it only makes up like four percent of your gut bacteria in your colon really? like like people think it's this big huge player but it's not it's like it's such a small percentage in people's gut but that's what's in every probiotic out there probably because it's cheap to manufacture i don't know maybe who knows all right thanks for listening everybody uh quackspodcast.com if you want to go to the website follow me on twitter uh at at quackspod i'm uh, posting more twitter stuff on a daily basis so tweeting if you want inflammatory things about health twitter is the place to be (laughs) i love it dude cool thanks a lot brian thank you brother talk to you soon see you soon